Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. If you want to turn your Bibles, I'm reading out of the New International Version today, not the version that's in your uh, pew, but if you want to open your Bibles, Isaiah 61. We've been through five other uh, portions of Isaiah, and we could spend an entire year uh, on, on this book, uh, just preaching through. But in our first week, we looked at Isaiah chapter 9, that Jesus is our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, and everlasting Father. He's the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 40, we talked about finding new strength as we trust in the Lord, that we will soar high on wings like eagles. Isaiah 42 was week three that Jesus will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. Isaiah 43, the promise was that when you go through deep waters, he will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected so we obviously could find forgiveness. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. We've talked about it, all these other things that try to We try to replace Jesus to satisfy our lives. We know that only Jesus is going to bring us ongoing, never-ending, everlasting hope. And that's my hope and my desire is that we have been changed. No matter if you've been a Christian for decades or you're a brand new Christian that just gave your life to Jesus in these past five weeks of this series, that you walk out of here knowing that Jesus is the only way to have true hope in life So I'm going to read you seven verses. We're going to spend some time talking, and then we'll we'll transition to some other things. Again, this is from the New International Version. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. This is a prophecy about Jesus. It says, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, which is another name for then the church, New Testament church, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise, a garment of praise, everything that we've been talking about today. Follow that out here, guys. A crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Remember last week we talked about Jesus being the tender green shoot, busting forth through that dry ground. And then when we read from Psalms that we will be like trees planted by the river that will never lose its leaves, that will bear fruit in each season. Verse four, now it's talking about the people who Jesus actually came to bring this deliverance to. It says, they, talking about the people, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Down in verse six, it says, you, talking again to the people, will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches, you will boast. Man, amen, absolutely. 
If you look even back at verse one, talking about the spirit of the sovereign Lord being upon Jesus because he was anointed to proclaim the good news to the poor. Jesus is the perfect example of God's anointing being manifested through man. And though he was fully God, the Bible says that he set aside that divinity to live as an example of what a man and a woman can live like, being fully surrendered to the Father, fully endowed with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe he is our example of what it looks like to steward the anointing of God. Right? He, he stewarded the anointing of the Holy Spirit his entire life. And we have his example to follow. So it says here, he sent me. So the father sent the son to bind up the broken heart. When you're binding something that's broken, you're taking all of the broken pieces. It's like you're tying a rope around them and binding them nice and tight. So what he's doing here is he's binding up the broken hearted. So he's encouraging those who are broken in their human spirit, sad, downtrodden. It says here, he is proclaiming freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Now, this points obviously to the exiles of Israel and Judah, as well as those who are in captivity of their sin. I want you to look at both sides of this. There's captives and there's prisoners, and Jesus was called to free them both. A captive is someone who is being punished when they did nothing wrong. We call them prisoners of war, right? When they're not doing anything wrong, but they're actually being taken captive. If you think about somebody like a child that was kidnapped, they did nothing wrong, that they're being held against their will, being captive. So a captive is being held illegally and being punished when they did nothing wrong. Are you with me? On the other side, there's a prisoner. A prisoner actually broke the law. A prisoner did a lot of things wrong, or at least one thing large enough wrong to then actually receive punishment and go behind bars. Now, when you look at this spiritually speaking, some people are held captive by the enemy and some people are imprisoned by the enemy. If you're in, ca if you're in captivity by the enemy, you may be living your life you know, wholesome and you're not caught in sin or so on, but the devil just comes, an all-out attack. It's illegal what he's doing. So he inflicts your soul, he inflicts your mind, he begins to whisper things about family members that you haven't talked to for a while, and before you know it, you're living in paranoia. Have you ever experienced that before? Right? Things are going well, and then two weeks later, you're like, I don't even know if my, my parents care about me. I don't know about this or that, or maybe it, well, they looked at me wrong in church, so they probably don't like me. By the end of the month, like they hate you in, their mind, in your mind, and yet none of it's true. When that happens, you're being held captive against your will by the enemy. Unresolved conflict in Christians' lives is a great example of being held captive, where you might not be living in sin, but you let a sliver of bitterness, a sliver of unforgiveness remain, and before you know it, that thing is full-blown. That's an attack of the enemy keeping you captive. On the other side, we have the prisoners, spiritually speaking, that could be a life of rebellion, right? Where you know the way to go, you know what the Holy Spirit's telling you to do, and you say, no, I'm going to do life on my own. I'm going to live this way. When you're living in direct rebellion, you open a door wide for the enemy to come in and take your heart prisoner. So it could be just ongoing giving into temptation until you believe that the Lord's not even with you anymore. He's with you. You've just allowed the enemy's voice to become louder and louder until it drowns out the voice of God. What does scripture say? Because there's good news for both sides. Jesus was sent 
to bind up the brokenhearted, which would be both of these, and to proclaim, to declare freedom for the captive and to declare or proclaim release from darkness from the prisoner or for the prisoner. So Jesus was called to bring freedom for both the captive and for the prisoner. Thank you for that. So no matter where you are in life, if you find yourself just discouraged or angry at people, you don't even know what's going on, and you can identify that you have been illegally attacked by the enemy, now your heart is wrenched, your mind is unrenewed, you can identify that and say, hold on! Scripture says you've been called, Jesus has been called to proclaim freedom for me. So you repent for not having a renewed mind. You say, say, listen, this is an illegal attack. The doors are closed. You're not allowed. Jesus is proclaiming freedom over my life. This is the side where good Christians start to get judgmental, right? Because someone has lived this way their entire life. And yet at a moment's time, they can repent. At a moment's time, they can say, hold on. You're proclaiming a release from darkness for me who's in prison of sin so that the devil would have no more grip on my soul. And you can live like hell for 30, 40, 50 years and in a moment confess those sins to God and truly turn your heart and repent and turn back to God and freedom is yours also. Somehow these people that are held in captive, we can celebrate them easier than them. We like hold things against them. But watch if you do that because you might be captive soon. Jesus was sent to bring freedom for both sides. And we can celebrate both sides and actually believe that he's doing it today. The one-step plan, confession, repentance, and freedom is yours for captives and for prisoners. I love it. In verse two, it says here, he proclaims the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. That year of the Lord's favor is tied into what was the Old Testament year of Jubilee. Remember, this is the Old Testament. Jesus hasn't come yet. The year of Jubilee, every 50 years, the captives were what? Released. Debts were forgiven. Land was given back to their original owner. So when he say, when, there, when, when Isaiah's prophesying that this person's going to come and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, this is really, really good. We think, well, the Lord showed me favor, you know, I, I missed the red light and got the green light. Listen, this is like the celebration where all debts are paid, all slaves are set free, and the rightful owner of all property is given back to them. That's something to celebrate. So look at this. Jesus fulfills this in Luke chapter four. It says this. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue. This is the beginning basically of his preaching ministry. As was the custom, he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it. He found its place where it had written. And this is what he reads. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Yes, the wording is a little bit different from the Old and the New Testament. And he says, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, period. 
Because he says he rolled up the scroll and then he sat back down and gave it to the attendant. So I want you to see here, he did not finish what the sentence was in Isaiah chapter 61, verse two, where it says, and the day of our vengeance of our God. So what he's saying here is this. Jesus came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, period. He's not taking it lightly that the day of the, venge- of, of the vengeance of God is on its way. It's called the final judgment. So there will be a judgment where everybody who calls himself an enemy of the Lord and of the church will be judged. But Jesus's message was one of favor and blessing and saying, listen, we are entering into a season, an unknown amount of time where the favor of God is upon you. I'm preaching, he's preaching the favor of the Lord, the mercy of the Lord, the grace of God. So not just Jews, but Gentiles, right? The Jewish people who were called by God to be his people, but also anyone across the face of this earth could receive this mercy, receive this grace, no matter if you were a captive or if you were a prisoner. And these people are listening to him and he knows, they know, what is this guy talking about? Because they ask even in a couple of verses later, isn't he a carpenter's son? Now in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 61, I think it's verse two, where he talks about the year of the Lord's favor. You look that word up, that means 12 months. It's a counted time. The word used in the New Testament is year. We read it as year, so we think 12 months. If you look up what that means, it's an era. It's an indefinite amount of time, which means in the Old Testament, they get one year of jubilee, where prisoners are free, the land comes back, and debts are, are, are completely canceled, right? They have to wait 50 years to receive that. And he's saying, you get 12 months of favor, and then we're going back to the old way of doing life. But in the New Testament, he's saying, I'm here to proclaim that the era, the church age, the last days, is now here. And it is one of God's favor. So think about that. We are in the last days where we actually have a chance to receive grace, mercy through confession and repentance. Knowing that there is a day of judgment, knowing that the people that you work with, the people that you live nearby, maybe even in your family, if they're not taking advantage of the Lord's favor, there is a day of judgment coming. So we have to hold that intention. This is the era of mercy and grace and favor but there is a day coming and we need to take that day seriously. So Jesus, he rolls up the scroll and in verse 21, he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So it says here, all, all spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words. They don't understand that he's actually saying he's fulfilling this. This is him who he's talking about. And then he goes on in verse 24, he says, truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. And he goes on to talk about how Elijah was actually sent to people outside his own people group to minister to. He's basically saying, hey, these verses I read, I'm fulfilling them, but you're not going to accept me. He's rebuking them right in a church service. Look what happens at verse 28. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. Could you imagine? Like, I could not imagine this being my first sermon. And like halfway through, I'm like, what just went wrong? <clears throat> All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. 
Not a cold day to wait to end your church service. But what did he do? He walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Why? Because he was stewarding the anointing of the spirit of God that was upon him. So he's not living in the fear of man. He's not living in the fear of opposition. He's saying, listen, the spirit of the Lord's on me. I'm anointed for a task. I will proclaim. I will bring deliverance. I will bring healing. I will bring salvation. And nobody's going to stop me until this is complete. So we're following Jesus, right? We watch what his lifestyle is. And if you're following Jesus and you're doing what he's calling you to do in your area, you're proclaiming, you're praying, you're ministering, and it might look completely different from what area of life that you're in. Don't be surprised if people want to throw you off a cliff every once in a while. If you're actually forging new ground, it will make even Christians uncomfortable. Well, I don't know what he's doing. They're doing this. Well, it's heresy. No, false teacher. All this stuff. Just because other Christians are complaining or just because unbelievers don't want to hear your message does not mean you're in the wrong. You go back to his word and let the word tutor you. Let the word correct you. Let the word instruct you. Let the word encourage you. And let the word rebuke you where necessary. But you keep on keeping on because you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit on you for a specific assignment just as Jesus did. So we're not going to be afraid of being thrown off cliffs. We will complete the task that the Lord has for us. So he comforts people in Isaiah 61, verse two. He comforts those who mourn. That word mourn there, it goes back. It's not mourning because they've lost somebody that they've loved. They're mourning over their sin. We have to catch this. The Lord wants to comfort you when you mourn over your sin. So many people are afraid to confess their sin to God and turn away from their sin because they, they think if they just admit it to the Lord, he's gonna whack them one. The Lord doesn't wanna punish you for your sin. He wants to comfort you when you mourn for your sin. We run away from God when we get caught in sin. We should be running toward him when we see him as the one who comforts us. So now getting caught in sin isn't something that drags us away from the Father. It's something that we identify, wait a minute, that dumb devil's trying to hold me captive or he's trying to imprison me and he's not allowed. So I'm gonna head into the chamber of the throne room and I'm going to ask for the one, the only one who can come for me in that time. And Jesus was sent to do it. So how does he do it? He bestows on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. So what were ashes? People in the Old Testament, they put ashes all over their forehead when they were mourning, right? So instead of having these ashes where you walked around, you had to look all somber, you had to act how this all looked. He's saying, hold on. Instead of all these ashes rubbed across your face, we're gonna wipe this off and we're actually gonna put a crown upon your head. So what does a crown represent? It represents position. It represents status. It represents royalty. And he's not saying that we're earning this. The Bible's saying Jesus was sent to give us this. How does he give us this? After we have mourned over our sins. So we're not, we're not earning a crown. We're not, we're not building our resume. We're simply humbling ourselves before the Lord and we're allowing him to bestow a crown of beauty upon our head as he wipes those ashes away. So what else does he do? It says that we get an oil of joy. Can you say joy? 
You get an oil of joy rubbed all over your face. See, when the ashes were taken off, it was time to end the season of mourning. They would wipe that off and they would actually uh, put oil, not just on their forehead, but on their face. So it would make it look all shiny. I say greasy, but you ladies say shiny, right? <laughs> so this oil was showing I'm choosing to have joy. It wasn't like as soon as you rub this stuff on your face, like, wow, I feel better now. It's a prophetic declaration. It's a symbol of what's going on on the inside. So I'm no longer going to choose to have the ashes. I'm, gonna, I'm no longer gonna choose to be in mourning. The crown's been bestowed upon my head. Now the oil is being applied to my face. So I'm choosing to now live in joy. But your circumstances haven't changed. No, they don't need to. When Jesus went home that day, it's not like everybody said, well, he walked through the crowd, so you know, we're not gonna get him anymore. People continued to plot his death all the way through the next three and a half years. Are you following me? People still wanted to push him off a cliff, but he was able to walk in joy because he chose to. What else did they do when they were mourning? They put their sackcloth on. You know what that is? It's burlap. They wore burlap around to show that they were mourning. And what does Jesus say? that he's giving you a garment of praise. That word garment is something bright. It's something exuberant. It's something that is going to lead you into a choice to come in and praise. So I love that those words were given today. That we, it's a choice that we make to use praise as a weapon, to use the oil of joy as a weapon. It's a choice. And to actually realize, men or women, we have a crown bestowed upon us because we know who our true king is. This is Jesus's assignment for us. It's the great exchange that we've been talking about for the last six weeks. I'll end with these verses here. Adam, you can come up don't know how I'm going to end. We'll figure it out. <laughs> so watch what happens. Watch what we get to do. We have, a, we have our identity in Christ. We have our spiritual renewal. We have our emotional renewal. We have more emotional renewal and saying, listen, I'm going to choose to have joy. I'm going to choose to worship. I know what my identity, I've been made royalty based on who he has made me to be, Right? Even in Ephesians 4, what does it say? Take off the old, right? I'm taking off my old self to put on my new self. The illustration is I'm taking off my old, dirty, rotten rags that stink and are moldy, and I'm putting on the new clothes. In fact, if I remember, and I don't know actually what verse it is, but it's in Ephesians 4, where it says that the new garments, the new self, are a picture of God's holiness and righteousness, I'm just trying to live a holy life. No, hold on, hold on. Mourn over your sin. Let him put on the crown. Let him wipe your face with oil. Let him put on the garment of praise that mirrors his holiness and his righteousness. Then begin to walk out your holiness. Instead of trying to do it on your own, your own way, just like we did when we walked in sin. So it says here, verse four, what are we gonna do under now his anointing? They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Yes, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, but there is work that God has called us to do now through the hearts of other people. 
And it's not just planting a garden. It's planting a garden and taking someone who's broken and teaching them how to tend that garden so they can grow and become self-sufficient upon the Lord and producing something in life. So it's not about just restoring the lands. It's restoring the temple of the Holy Spirit who are people. And we're called to do that. That's amazing. People who were once broken are now used to restore lands that were once broken. Isn't that amazing? But God, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. No, that's okay. I'm using you now to restore the ancient ruins. What a privilege to know we don't have it all together, but we're still gonna receive these gifts from the Lord. We're gonna surrender ourselves to him more each and every day, and we will be used to restore the ruins. But you have to believe you yourself have been freed from captivity and released from prison. So how does this happen? You know, we have a mission statement that has four values in it, talking about family, transformation, empowerment, and advancing the kingdom. So within the church walls, we actually believe that we can see Isaiah 61. We can see Jesus' work in accordance to Isaiah 61, verse one through four, probably all the way through that entire chapter where people can come in and actually receive a message or in a group receive the message and be ministered to in such a way that they are transformed right here, right now, today. And with that, that they are actually welcomed into a healthy family where in time, as they're being mended and put back together, we can actually, through practical training and love and relationship, train people and equip them until they feel empowered to go back out and do this personally in your own life. When you look at that word, healthy family, we're trying to be a family of believers, a unified family of believers. The goal of family is not comfort and safety. Like, what do you mean? Because when we think of a family church, we think, oh yeah, this is nice and we're all cozy and warm and we hug a lot. A healthy family provides comfort and provides safety for the area for development and training and maturing to happen. Does this make sense? So Sharice and I, we don't provide all the amenities for our kids so they stay small spiritually as they grow up physically. Right, so when they're 35, they're not saying, but where's dinner, mom? Where are my clothes? We provide those amenities in a safe, healthy family in order to grow them up so they are mature, producing adults one day. That's what we want to do in this family. We want people to be transformed by Jesus, not so they can just stay and feel safe and warm, but so you have a safe place to take risks for God, to develop your character, to develop your spiritual gifts so that you can be empowered, so you can go back out into the classroom, into the hospitals, into the business realm, wherever the Lord has taken you and actually advance his gospel and not just say, hey, just come to church. That's where you're gonna hear it. No, you are the church and they can hear it right with you. So we actually believe that this mission statement will be being fulfilled throughout the generations to come by allowing Jesus to do his work in Isaiah chapter 61. Because the Bible says this, you will be called priests of the Lord. In the Old Testament, there was one lineage that were priests, one group of people who could go and minister to the Lord in the temple. And even in the Old Testament, the prophecy was you, you all, plural, 
will be called priests of the Lord. You will be ministers of our God. So I was looking over my notes last night and I got a chuckle because I was thinking of like 400 people all with crowns on, shiny faces, garments of praise, sitting in the pew and doing nothing. How silly that would look if churches across the world had that. Yes, I'm clothed with royalty and the garment of praise and my face is all oily and I came and I heard a message and I sang some songs, but I'm gonna go off and do my own thing in life. We're cheapening all of these things that Jesus came to do if we do nothing about it when we go out from here. Does that make sense? You get to wake up tomorrow morning with your crown on. Men are like, I don't want a crown of beauty. I want a rough and tough crown. Picture your crown however you want it. You have a crown on, you have a garment of praise, and you have the oil of joy. So we can actually do this starting this afternoon. We can advance the kingdom of God together even though we're separate from this building. I want you to stand. I'm gonna have you sit back down, so don't sneak out of here. I don't know why I had you stand, but you're up, so I don't know. Why don't you just bow your heads and close your eyes? I do wanna give an opportunity. Listen, if you are here today and you do not have that hope that you're at peace with God, so you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm not sure that I actually ever mourned my sin. I'm not sure that I've actually ever confessed it and admitted that I, that I have sinned against the Holy God. So if you're here today and you don't have the hope that you're at peace with God because you just haven't reckoned with your sin, and you want that peace, the Bible says the only way to have peace with God is to receive his son Jesus as Lord and Savior. So if that is you today, I'm gonna give you an opportunity in just a short moment to raise your hand, connect your eyes with me, and then after this service, we'll have you come forward and connect with one of our altar team members. You might also be here today that you've run so far from God that you don't feel like you're at peace with him anymore because your soul is at unrest. And if that's you today and you want to have that peace once again, then I wanna give you that opportunity also. So think about that, one of two people. If you're not sure you're at peace with God and you wanna be, or if you just need to start over fresh with Jesus today, I want you to just raise your hand really high, make your eye contact with me, and we wanna be able to just offer prayer for you after service. Anyone across here, I see your hand, I'm proud of you. I see your hand, I'm super proud of you too. It's awesome. Anyone else in the back? Amen. Come on, Jesus. Anyone else want to raise your hand? Make eye contact. We're going to minister to you in about 10 minutes. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Thank you, Lord. I see your hand over on the side. Yes, I see you. You can put your hand down. Thank you, Lord. All right, church family, look up at me. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. We'll have you come down if you, if you raise your hands. If we believe, which we do believe, this is a heaven and hell issue, that people have either been, are being born again today or coming back from being far away, we would be really super excited about that, wouldn't we? So let's thank Jesus for what he's doing in our service. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for moving in people's lives. Thank you, Lord. Listen, I want you guys, because some of you raised your hand, I want you to stay. I'm gonna we're gonna repeat a prayer together. It's not a magical prayer, but it's an opportunity for people to repent before they come forward. And I do want you to come at the end of service so you can receive. If you do have prayer when we're done today, 
any of these areas you feel like are lacking in your life, the altar team will be here. Just repeat this with me. Say, God, today I confess that I've sinned against you, that I need a Savior. I believe Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of all my sins. He was raised from the dead that I could have new life in him. I choose to die to my sinful and selfish ways and follow Jesus as he transforms me. I surrender my life to Jesus, making him my Lord, and I receive Jesus as my Savior. I believe I am now a child of God, a new creation, born again spiritually into the eternal kingdom of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.